0: This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, it is July, and that means we have a brand new special report for you to order this month. The report is titled, Five Investing Myths and Mistakes and How to Potentially Avoid Them. I think this report is especially timely given what's happened in the markets uh, of late. Uh, stocks uh, are now officially in a bear market. And uh, if you're planning for retirement and you have money in an IRA or a 401k, the information in this report is designed to help you consider some alternatives, consider some strategies to uh, keep your retirement plans uh, safe, potentially. So I would encourage you to get the report by visiting requestyourreport.com. Again, the July report is titled, Five Investing Myths and Mistakes and How to Potentially Avoid Them. Be glad to send you a copy, as well as some other timely information. Again, visit requestyourreport.com, and I'll be very glad to get that out to you. You know, I've been talking uh, really since the first of the year here on the radio program, uh, you know, six months ago to be exact, that it's my belief that the U.S. economy is in a recession, Turns out now that after several revisions that I may have been correct. There was an article published June 29 in MarketWatch. It was written by Jeffrey Bartish. And I want to give you just a little bit from the article. Quote, the first quarter is in the books. The economy shrank at a 1.6% annual pace based on the final update. And the second quarter isn't looking all that great either the contraction in gross domestic product the official scorecard for the economy was the first since the onset of the pandemic in 2020 so what's happened is now that we've got all the revisions in it's official that the economy shrank in the first quarter now you don't have to really be an economist to figure out why Consumer spending was down in the first quarter, largely due to the fact that inflation is consuming a lot of the discretionary income of consumers. The U.S. economy is dependent more than 70% on consumer spending to have a healthy economy. So when consumer spending, which is the chief driver or the chief engine of the economy, pulls back, you have a recession. Now, I talked about this on my weekly headline roundup uh, webinar that I do every Monday live at noon. And if you'd like to visit retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, we post that webinar there as well. But in the, on the webinar, I talked about a, an article written by Graham Summers of Gains, Pains, and Capital. And he said this. He said, the U.S. is in recession He agrees with me. A recession is not coming, he writes. It's already here. I know it. You know it. Just look around you. Yes, restaurants and airports are packed, but demand for both dining out and travel are pent up after two years of lockdowns. These parts of the economy don't represent real demand. They represent people desperate to return to some semblance of normalcy and burning through their savings and racking up credit card debt to do so. Now I reported here on the program that from February of 2022 to March of 2022, credit card debt doubled. So if you want a clue as to how the average consumer is dealing with inflation, you need to only look at that statistic. The savings rate, which was over 30% when government stimulus checks were hitting mailboxes a couple years ago, is now almost non-existent and credit card debt is climbing at an alarmingly fast rate. That tells you the state of the average consumer. And again, the U.S. economy is more than 70% dependent on consumer spending for economic growth. Now, back to this article that was written by Graham Summers. He said... Everything else, and remember, he was talking about travel and restaurants, but he said everything else is imploding, and it has been for months. And he pointed out by sharing a chart of Walmart stock that Walmart stock has been in a solid uptrend really since early 2016, but now that we have a bear market in stocks, that uptrend has been broken. Amazon, the largest online retailer in the country, has uh, its stock in an uptrend from mid 2015 to the present, but that uptrend line has now been broken to the downside. So, because of inflation, in my view, we have consumer spending now drying up. And I believe that even though the Fed is saying they want to have a soft economic landing, A soft economic landing would be getting inflation under control and avoiding recession. I believe that it is too late for that. I think the recession is here. And I think we will have a hard landing. Stefan Gleason of Money Metals Exchange agrees with me. Last week, he published a piece, and in it he said, quote, the U.S. economy appears headed for a hard landing. After months of ignoring the steadily growing inflation problem, the Federal Reserve is now using monetary blunt force to try to rein in rising prices. Now, I will get back to Mr. Gleason's article here in a moment. But when you look at what the Fed is doing by raising interest rates to get inflation under control, or at least that's the official narrative, when you raise rates a half a point or three-quarters of a point, you're not raising rates nearly enough to effectively combat inflation. Most of you are not old enough to remember what happened in 1980. Paul Volcker in 1980, who was the chair of the Fed, raised interest rates to nearly 20% to get inflation under control. And if we were to adjust the actual inflation rate and, and and calculate the inflation rate today the way they did in the 1970s, we have inflation that is essentially equivalent to what we saw then. So we have to get interest rates a lot higher to effectively combat inflation. However, the Fed is not doing that, and there are a number of reasons that they really can't. Now back to Mr. Gleason's article, he said Fed policymakers have effectively decided that inflation is so out of hand that they are willing to induce an economic slowdown that will reduce aggregate demand for goods and services. The recent carnage in the stock market suggests that the Fed's suddenly aggressive rate hikes are going to crimp consumer borrowing and hurt retail sales. Stocks, which are now fully in the bear market territory, tend to lead the economy. The message of the market is that a recession is coming. The claims to the contrary by the Biden administration officials are less than convincing, especially given their track record of failing to recognize the inflation problem until it became too overwhelming to deny. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen went on ABC News to try to paint a rosy picture of the economy. She said, quote, I don't think a recession is inevitable. And yet, the numbers that were just reported by MarketWatch tell us that we are likely in recession. There are other danger signs out there as well. These danger signs are quoted by Mr. Gleason in his article The Atlanta Federal Reserve Bank's GDP Now tracker shows economic growth coming in at 0% this spring. That would put us in a technical recession. The Philadelphia Fed Business Index turned negative for the month of June. The first time that's happened since the COVID lockdown's social mood is collapsing. The latest University of Michigan survey of consumers shows consumer sentiment plunging to a record low. And small business owners, according to a recent survey, are feeling their gloomiest in nearly five decades. So I believe that we are going into a recession. I believe we are in a recession now. I believe that uh, traditional investing moving ahead may let you down. And I would like to invite you to get some more information by requesting our July special report titled, Five Investing Myths and Mistakes and How to Potentially Avoid Them. All you need to do to get your copy of the report is visit requestyourreport.com. I'll be glad to send you a copy. I'll be back after these words with my special guest this week, Mr. John Rabino.
1: Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. John Rabino. Uh, many of you who are longtime listeners recognize John as the founder of DollarCollapse.com. Uh, A source uh, that I go to often Uh, there is a breaking news section on the site that is updated constantly great place to go check out some headlines so uh, John welcome back to the program
2: hey Dennis thanks for having me back on
1: so John the uh the, the the big story, I think, economically speaking, is uh, inflation. And when you look at how the narrative has changed over the past couple of years, uh, it's gone from inflation being transitory to persistent to now, uh, I believe, uh, uh, uncomfortably high inflation for a, an indefinite period was Janet Yellen's latest comment. So um, where do you see inflation going from this point?
2: Well, Dennis, we're at a really interesting point in this particular cycle because uh, six months from now, inflation could be raging. It could be higher than it is now, or it could be zero. We could be back in deflation because you've got some very powerful forces pointing in each of those directions. Um, On the inflationary side, um, we've got food shortages all around the world where um, a lot of things have happened, uh, you know, weather wise and geopolitically and with supply chains because of the pandemic um, to um, to interfere with a lot of harvests and a lot of food processing. And it's going to lead to much higher prices in the next year and probably um, a lot of political unrest around the world as people can't feed their families. So that's baked into the inflation cake pretty much. And then same thing with energy. Uh, there is just not enough oil and coal and natural gas available um, to satisfy the projected needs for the year ahead. So it's highly possible that um, energy prices will be way up next year, too. Uh, you know, put those two together and you, you probably have higher overall inflation going forward. Uh, now, on the other side of the, uh, the spectrum uh, is a lot of industrial commodities, which had spiked and are now starting to trend down, and uh, you know lumber, cotton, a lot of agricultural commodities, a, a few things in the energy space are starting to go down a little bit lately. Although I, like I said, they're not likely to, to, uh, to be deflationary anytime soon. Uh, but let those things go down. Oh, and and a lot of um, big store chains overbought inventory, and now they're having to cut prices in their stores to get rid of that excess inventory, which is deflationary. So you know, add all those things in and maybe inflation won't be the problem a year from now that it is right now. And the thing is, nobody knows for sure how all of this stuff shakes out because these are very powerful forces. and It's not clear which one will dominate. Um, so it's got the financial markets completely baffled. So, you know, are you, should you be buying inflation hedges right now or should you be going all the cash and waiting for the stock market to crash because of deflation? Not, nobody really knows. So it, it's a... A very stressful time for money managers, for sure, and um, a scary time for say, if you're a retiree or something, and you're you're trying to protect your capital to make sure that uh, you've got enough to live on, and it's, it's frankly not that clear how to do that for the year ahead.
1: So, John, you mentioned the stock market. Uh, you know, you know, we've seen a little bit of a what I would describe or, or characterize as a bear market bounce here, but uh, certainly uh, when you take a look at the wealth that has just evaporated uh you know given this this market decline of about 25 percent or so um isn't that really uh one way to get inflation under control
2: oh you mean crash the stock market yes that that is a way of getting inflation under control and that's that's part of what the fed is doing here they they normally are terrified of stock market crashes because we're such an over leveraged society in other words we've taken on so much debt that uh Garden variety financial downturns, which usually include a 20% drop in stock prices or whatever, uh, they, they've become so dangerous now because we're so fragile that um, the Fed normally starts loosening monetary policy as soon as stops, stocks drop into a bear market. You know, As soon as they're down by 20%, you see the Fed come back in with lower interest rates and generally easier money. But they can't do that now because they've got this raging inflation they've got to snuff out somehow. So they're going to have to raise interest rates in the face of a stock market um, plunge and a probable descent into recession for the overall economy. Uh, so it could be that they're willing to accept a much, much deeper drop in stock prices. In other words, instead of 20%, maybe stocks go down by 40 or 50% before the Fed panics and starts Flooding the system with money, which just adds to the complexity for financial managers. Because you know, it used to be well, in our entire adult lifetimes, you could have just gone with the Fed. In other words, when the Fed starts to tighten, you sell your stocks. When the Fed starts to ease, you um, you buy back your stock. Um, In other words, buy the dip was the best strategy um, that um, that anybody has ever figured out for. The last 50 or so years. Uh, But now buying the dips might be very dangerous because the Fed is willing to take a bigger drop in stock prices in order to get inflation under control. So, you know, it used to be buy stocks when they're down by 20 percent overall and ride them back up. Well, now you might buy them when they're down 20 percent like today and have them go down another 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 percent from from where you bought them. And then if you're a money manager, you're out of a job. If you're a, a retiree, you might have to go back to work, you know. So the stakes are very high, and it's very confusing right now.
1: Well, if you're just joining us, my guest today is Mr. John Rabino. He is the founder of DollarCollapse.com. I would encourage you to check out the website. And, and, John, you said something um, in, in that last uh, uh, segment, that last, uh, after that last question, that the Fed will at some point perhaps start to ease again. They'll start to engage in quantitative easing. Um, isn't at some point, John, given the amount of debt that exists, given how deep this deflationary cycle could potentially go, I mean, isn't it almost inevitable, I guess I see that it is, that the Fed will at some point here reverse course?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, Because a a serious economic downturn will completely blow up the global financial system and the global economy because people have borrowed so much money. What happens is if the economy um, shrinks by, let's say, 3%, then there are a lot of people out there who borrowed money on the assumption of continued economic growth who will be bankrupted. They won't be able to pay their bills and then their creditors will also be bankrupt. so you get the risk of a, a cascading failure. Now the, the more the economy shrinks, the more people fall into the category of that first guy who goes bankrupt and makes everybody else go bankrupt. So there's a limit to how much um, shrinkage the, um, the Fed is going to be able to tolerate no matter what inflation is doing because the alternative to say six, seven, eight percent inflation, if it's a nineteen thirty style depression with unemployment of thirty percent and um, and chaos everywhere you look and the the incumbent politicians being thrown out of office nobody who's in power right now will accept the deflationary crash scenario because it's so much worse than inflation so they're trying to snuff out inflation now but if it if it comes down to a choice between a horrendous crash and High single-digit inflation, they will accept the inflation. So the question is, where do they pivot? You know, at what point are they going to shift gears and go back to easing in order to prevent a 1930s-style deflationary depression? And that's what we don't know. We don't know whether it's next week or whether it's um, another 50% off on the Dow Jones or 70% off on the Nasdaq. We we just can't know those things, but. Um, That's probably a scenario that plays out with the only um, unpredictable part being the numbers. In other words, where where is it that the Fed finally panics in terms of um, equity prices or bond prices? And we can't know that. And um, that's what makes this such a scary time. But we we can know that it's kind of going to play out that way. The economy is going to get weaker. Stocks are probably going to be very choppy, if not... um, Mostly to the downside, and that the Fed will at some point panic, go back to cutting interest rates, go back to creating a lot of new currency and dumping it into the market. That's all going to happen, and it's just timing and and the specific levels for the stock markets that have to uh, have to be determined.
1: John, assuming the Fed does that, does that mean that we have a ultimately a hyperinflationary outcome that's inevitable in your view, and, and we're just kind of uh, gonna see these periods of deflation and inflation until ultimately we have this hyperinflationary outcome, or is that not inevitable in your view?
2: Yeah, because I think what the Fed has to do is choose to sacrifice the currency to avoid a nineteen thirties style depression. That that'll be the end game for this. And it could be what you know, I think that's what the next Fed capitulation will be. They're gonna almost explicitly say, um, we're going to let the dollar fall as far as it has to fall. We've got to protect jobs, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we can't let the economy just go completely bust. So if we have to have 8 or 9 or 10% inflation forever, uh, which is to say if we have to have the dollar get 10% less valuable year after year after year, we'll just have to accept that as the, um, the least bad in a menu of bad options. And that's the whole dollar collapse thesis. You know, that's why i named on my website, dollarcollapse.com, because that day was coming, and uh, we couldn't know when it was going to come, and uh, and we couldn't know the, the specifics of how we get there. But uh, the fact that we were borrowing way too much money, creating way too much currency in order to fund all that debt that we were taking on, that inevitably leads, and always and everywhere, in um, fiat currency economies. In other words, where uh, the currency isn't based on gold or silver or something like that. That always leads to the destruction of the currency. And you can um, you can verify this by Googling list of hyperinflation. And if you do that, you'll get a whole page of countries that have just basically vaporized their currency by borrowing too much money and printing too much currency. So we're basically doing that. Um, and so we're going to go the way of those, those other countries. And it could be that this next turn for the Fed, the next time they say, oh, did we say we were tightening? No, no, we're we're going back to easy money. We're going to cut interest rates today and start buying up bonds with newly created currency, you know, QE. we'll, We'll go back and do all that stuff, and we'll do it as much as it takes. The next time they do that, that might be the death knell for the world's major fiat currencies because nobody's going to want to hold them. Um, in a situation where the government is explicitly making them 10% less valuable year after year, right? Why would you hold dollars in, in that situation? And, uh, you know, amazing as it sounds, we're kind of coming to that point where that, that is the explicit policy of the government is to allow the, go- the dollar to drop by that much each year um, as a way of protecting jobs, at least temporarily.
1: Well, my guest today is Mr. John Rabino. He is the founder of DollarCollapse.com. I'll continue my conversation with John when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you're listening to RLA Radio. My guest on today's program is Mr. John Rabino. John is the founder of DollarCollapse.com. The website has a terrific section. Uh, It's called uh, Breaking News, and uh, lots of links to all the important headlines there. I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, Again, DollarCollapse.com. Uh, John, uh very interesting week. We were talking before we started actually uh, recording today's interview that uh, the Supreme Court had a pretty eventful week.
2: Boy, did it. In, in one week, the Supreme Court uh, basically did away with... Uh, Restrictions on conceal, concealed carry for guns at the state level. So now the uh, the rule for concealed carry is the same in Florida and Texas as in New York and California, uh, which has lots of people up in arms. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's going to be a you know a pretty big story going forward. It also ruled. Um, on a church and state issue which is which is always a hot topic and it ruled that uh, you know, a football coach is allowed to pray on the field of a football game if he wants to uh, and that that's not a um, an establishment of uh, a state religion or anything which you know also has a um, you know means a lot to a lot of people. but the big one was that, uh, that the Supreme Court overruled Roe versus Wade, which is uh, a 50-year-old ruling, which made abortion legal in every American state, and uh, the the new court ruled that um, the old ruling um, was flawed on a lot of levels because, um, in the opinion of the of today's justices, the um, previous justices just made up. Of, uh, abortion as part of the Constitution out of thin air. You know, there's nowhere in, in the uh, Constitution that mentions abortion. And and it, it's they inferred it from the fact that we have an inferred right to privacy in the Constitution. So it was always a big issue um, on a lot of different levels. And now they've thrown abortion back to the states, um, which means that each state gets to decide how it wants to handle it, whether it wants to completely ban abortion or make it completely legal. And I think you can make a a reasonable case that that's where it should have always been. You know, no no other country in the world has a, a constitutional right to an abortion. They all worked it out legislatively. So hopefully, we will work it out legislatively as peacefully as France and the UK and Germany have done, where they have restrictions on abortion but it's also available under some circumstances you know in other words they came to a, a a democratic deal in which people who disagree very strongly about something accepted a law which nobody's happy about but which isn't serious enough to keep to send them into the streets for violent protest and i think in a lot of cases with democracies that's that kind of compromise is really the best you can hope for, and uh, and so I think we should all hope for something like that in the U.S., where we we manage to um, to settle on compromises on these big issues that um, that are workable, if not perfect. But uh, this was this was a week in which a lot of big stuff got thrown out there for us to debate going forward.
1: So, John, while we're on the topic of politics, uh, where, where do you see things going as far as the midterms? And uh, how might that affect things moving ahead from you know, an economic and investing perspective, if that's a fair question?
2: Well, if the Roe versus Wade um, ruling hadn't happened, um, it would be pretty clear that the Republicans were going to take back um, both legislative branches. They would, they would take back the Senate and the House. Um, for a a variety of reasons. One, you know, the the biggest reason is that lots of bad things have happened under Joe Biden. And when you're in charge, you get blamed for those things or you get credit for the good things, whether you did them or not. So you can argue about whether Biden's at fault in a lot of cases. Uh, And I I would say yes on some things, no on other things. But that's a debatable thing. But um, he's going to get blamed for it. and. That is going to hand back power to the Republicans. So, that would have handed back power to the Republicans for sure. But the Roe versus Wade thing kind of is a wild card. We don't know how the bases of the two major parties in the U.S. are going to react to Roe v. Wade being overturned. Uh, who's going to get more turnout? Who's going to have more passion? That kind of thing. Um, so, that might possibly um, moderate or it might um, increase the. Um, uh, you know, the, the number of seats that um, the Republicans are going to take back. We'll see. But you can bet that this is going to be a really contentious election, and it's going to have relatively high turnout for midterm elections just because people are energized by what's going on right now. Um, and then you get the prospect of a divided government which is basically frozen in place. It's not able to do much of anything because uh, the the two parties really don't agree on a whole lot right now. So there might be a few bipartisan things that happen, but mostly uh, the government will just be frozen. Um, And you can make the case that that's the best we can hope for there too, because at least when when the government's not doing anything, it's not causing much damage. Um, But it also means they're not going to fix any of the financial stuff that we've been talking about. Not, not that there was much of a chance of anybody coming in and fixing the, uh, the kind of institutional momentum off that financial cliff that we, we have going right now. But uh, this kind of guarantees that nobody is going to fix anything. So the financial stuff that, um, that is coming is going to come regardless of what happens in the next few American elections, just because um, it's not clear that each ma- either major party has any kind of a plan to, for instance, dramatically scale back government spending and borrowing and start paying off the debt, or otherwise lower the amount of leverage in the system so we don't have a giant financial crisis. So, on the one hand, this is political theater that is really fun to watch, what's going on out there now. Uh, but on the other hand, there is no fix that any, any one election is gonna bring about that saves us from the consequences of the mistakes we made in the past. We've pretty much guaranteed ourselves a really, really stressful decade. And, and that's stressful and decade are both optimistic terms for what's coming. So I, uh, you know, I, I think that it comes down to the individual now. We all need to be prepping one way or another for very stressful times, and whether that means making a garden in the backyard so you're 50% food self-sufficient or buying a bunch of gold and silver and stocking it away so that uh, you're protected from a monetary collapse or uh, working a second job so that you've got options if you get thrown out of one job, you've got the other to fall back on. You know, all of those things are are things we should be doing, and, and we each have to decide which one is the thing to focus on for us. Uh, But we should all be prepping one way or another for something that's just going to be shocking when it comes.
1: So, John, let's finish this segment by talking about uh, gold and silver. Um, In the first segment, we talked about the fact that should the Fed say, look, we're going to let the dollar fall as far as it needs to fall. We, we, We can't repeat Uh, the the deflationary depression of the 1930s. Um, Do do you see that eventually gold and silver will return as global money like it has been for so much of history?
2: I think it's a possibility. Um, We we can't go back to unbacked currencies because that was the big mistake we made in 1971. We basically removed the backing of any kind of a commodity from the currency that the big countries used. And that just effectively handed an unlimited credit card to politicians who are the most unstable class of people other than Hollywood actors that uh, that we have <laughs> in, in the modern world. And they obviously, as they were going to, knowing what we know about human nature and about politicians, they abused the privilege of that unlimited credit card to bankrupt all. So we can't do that again, which leaves us a, a fairly limited set of options beyond that. And the one that did work For 200 years prior to the experiment with unbacked fiat currencies was a commodity-based system in which you have to hold a certain amount of commodities. It was always gold and silver back then, but we might be able to do it with industrial commodities or something now. But uh, you have to hold a certain amount of gold and silver to back your currency, and that currency is exchangeable for gold and silver. If you print too many, let's say, dollars, then people can just take those dollars back to the government and demand gold in return. The government has to give that gold to people, and then it has less backing for its currency, which means it has to shrink the money supply because it's got to back its currency, say, 40% with um, those commodities, and that controls the increase in money in the system. that's what we don't have now, we can create as much new currency as we want to. And we have to go back to some kind of control that's external to the government, because the government can't make these decisions, or they will do what they've been doing for the last 70 years. They'll just cheat. Um, so yeah, I would say gold and silver are probably where we're going to end up, even though there are some technical hurdles between here and there that we'll have to deal with. Uh, there are a lot of mostly younger people who say the cryptos. For instance, Bitcoin will be the basis of tomorrow's monetary system. And um, I would say cryptocurrencies have to um, develop a more stable trading pattern before that's probably going to be the case. But uh, we'll see. You know, It's going to be um, a period of competition in the monetary world where the fiat currencies fail and we try out other things. Uh, And we'll just see what the marketplace decides. I I suspect it'll be gold and silver. It could possibly be cryptos, and it could possibly be some other kind of a commodity-based system where, um, you know, you you have this much oil, for instance, and you use that to back your currency. That's that's got some problems, but you know, we could try something like that. So we'll see. But the important point from all this is that we'll we'll go back to something or we'll go forward to something, that ties the government's hands as far as money creation. We will no longer allow governments to create as much new currency as they want to and borrow as much money as they want to. That is the thing that's going to have to end when this whole system breaks down.
1: Well, my guest today has been Mr. John Rabino. John is the founder of DollarCollapse.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. John, always a pleasure to catch up with you, and uh, the listeners always enjoy it when you're on the program. So uh, thank you for joining us today, and I'd love to have you back down the road.
2: Thanks, Dennis. I look forward to it.
1: I will return after these words.
2: This is
0: the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today, and thanks once again to my special guest this week, Mr. John Rabino, for joining me on today's program and offering his perspective as well. If you're just tuning in, I'd like to invite you to get our July special report. It's the first week this report is being made available. The report is titled, Five Investing Myths and Mistakes and How to Potentially Avoid Them. If you're dreaming of a comfortable, stress-free retirement, the first part of 2022 may have made you alter your dreams a bit, may have made you adjust your goals a bit, If that's you, I'd like to invite you to get this report. It's absolutely free, and it's available by visiting requestyourreport.com. And uh, the report will give you five investing myths and mistakes that people are really prone to make in an environment like this. So I hope you'll get the report. I hope you'll uh, you'll, you'll read it, and I I think you'll enjoy the perspective that it offers. Just visit requestyourreport.com, and I'll be very glad to send you a copy of that report along with some bonus information. Some of you are familiar with the name Kathy Wood. Uh, Kathy Wood is the manager of the ARC Fund. The ARC Fund, uh, I mentioned on the program several months ago, uh, the ARC Fund is really a, a fund that looks at technology companies or in, uh, companies that uh, are innovating in certain ways. Uh, some of these companies, uh, as we discussed on the prior program, uh, have never made a profit, and we're actually returning to a time frame that investing fundamentals are now, once again, I believe, taking over. Well, Kathy Wood came out, uh, and this is an article from Zero Hedge, and uh, this past week admitted that she got inflation wrong. Uh, Janet Yellen did as well to a certain extent, although as I talked about in the first segment, Ms. Yellen said that she doesn't believe a recession is inevitable, uh, a statement that I would very much disagree with. Well, Kathy came out, Kathy Wood came out and said that um, she was wrong on inflation. During an interview with Ms. Wood on CNBC, she was confronted with the fact that she said in January the market had bottomed and that inflation would be controlled. And here's what she said, quote, We were wrong on one thing, and that was inflation being as sustained as it has been. Wood then added, quote, Supply chain, I can't believe it's taken more than two years, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine Of course, we couldn't have seen that. So inflation has been a bigger problem, but I think it has set us up for deflation. Now, arguably, we are seeing the effects of deflation in the stock market, and I believe we will soon see that in the real estate market. But I believe what Ms. Wood is not talking about is the real possibility of stagflation, where we see a shrinking economy. I believe, as I said in the first segment, that we are already in recession that we see higher prices on consumer goods like food and fuel, and we see falling asset prices like in stocks and real estate. I believe that we are going to see, uh, in my view, a perfect economic storm. So we have a survey of business leaders that came out this past week and it tends to confirm that the mood is turning a bit gloomy. This is an article published in the Epic Times. Uh, the author of the article is Catabella Roberts, and uh, the Epic Times is one of my favorite places to get news, incidentally. And I want to give you just a bit from the article. Quote Optimism among business leaders regarding the outlook of the U.S. economy has drastically declined in the past year, according to JP Morgan's. 2022 Business Leaders Outlook Pulse, which was released last Monday, about a week ago. More than 1,500 mid-sized business leaders participated in the survey, which was conducted between May 25 and June 10 across executives of mid-sized companies in the United States that have annual revenues from $20 million to $500 million. Here's what the survey found. One in five business leaders, 19% to be precise, said they were optimistic about the national economy for the year ahead. So a little less than one in five business leaders said they were optimistic about the national economy over the next year. Now by comparison, that is the lowest percentage recorded in the 12 years that the survey has been conducted by J.P. Morgan. A year ago, the number was 75%. So a year ago, three out of four business leaders said they were optimistic about the U.S. economy. We have gone from three out of four business leaders being optimistic to less than one in five. The survey showed that pessimism around the national economy jumped to 51% from 10% a year ago, with inflation being their major culprit. And only 9% of these same business leaders expressed optimism over the global economy. Among those surveyed, 99% reported that their costs of doing business have increased in the past year. 71% stated their top challenge is rising costs, including inflation. 99% said... The cost of doing business has gone up and 71% said 7 out of 10 or better than 7 out of 10 said our top challenge is dealing with inflation. Labor issues came in as a problem for 70% of the business owners that participated in this survey. And 86% of respondents said they believe inflation is worse now than it was six months ago. Well, as you all know, inflation is now sitting at a 40-year high in the United States. And, of course, business owners are forced to pass these costs on to customers. Now, in the survey, 76% of the business owners said they are raising prices. And 42% said they've passed at least half of their increased costs on to consumers via increased prices. 81% said they will be forced to continue to raise prices. Inflation is an economic drag that feeds upon itself. As I mentioned in the first segment, the U.S. economy is more than 70% dependent on consumer spending. So when consumers don't have as much discretionary income to spend due to inflation, the economy shrinks, and I believe that's what we're seeing. I'd like to invite you to get an additional resource Our July special report is titled Five Investing Myths and Mistakes and How to Potentially Avoid Them. The report will give you the five mistakes that I believe many people will tend to make in an environment like this and give you some ideas as to how to avoid those mistakes. To get your report, visit requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. When you visit the website, I'll just ask you at what address you want the report mailed to you, And we'll get it out in the mail to you. That's the program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. And I'll be back again next week.